Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. So my wife and I, we really love each other. We have a, I think we have a good marriage. You never really know right, how to compare, but I think we do. And we don't fight that much. But there is one, there is one place where we seem to just always have some conflict. And it's whenever I'm driving. I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. It's whenever I'm driving. I mean, let's, okay, I don't know. Maybe it's just a guy thing. So let's talk to the guys. But when the guys, when you happen to be driving as a guy, I don't know if this bothers you, but like, you know, you're driving, you see a car up there and you see it is, it is slowing down. It's stopping, okay? And there's plenty of time for you to stop. So you think, I'm just gonna kind of ease into it or I'm gonna wait a little bit because they might, you know, I'm just, there's plenty of time. There's like hundreds of, of inches between us. And... And there's plenty of time, and, but, your, but your spouse next to you, your wife, does that thing where the hands on the dashboard, <laughs> right? That's where all my Christianity just goes to die. And I, my sanctification, I can't handle it. But to be fair, my wife, I upset her a lot because I, I don't know where I'm going at any given point. I still, from this location, I still know how to get to 41. I just try to figure it out every time I leave here. Uh, I have no idea where I'm going at any given point to do this, because I, I internalize these sermons. They're like a half hour long. To do that, I have to delete everything else in my brain. I don't even know who I am when I get off the platform. I mean, when I talk to you, I don't even know who you are. Uh, it's, it's, there's no room for like even basic directions. It drives her nuts. And she's always like, you know, she'll tell me. She's so good. She can even like navigate in terms of like the compass. She'll, she'll be like, just head north. And I'll be like, Hannah, what do I look like, a sundial? Like, it's not, it's dark outside. What was north? Is that up? Like, straight up? How do I go up? You know, that's, that's how bad I am at this. The other thing, the, the, last, the last thing that, she, that I think I annoy her with is the music. I only own a vehicle to listen to music. I also, you know, that's the main reason I own one. It's the cool, I mean, think about this. Where else in your life, okay, where else are you surrounded with speakers, like, there's a speaker by my shin bone. Like, where else do you have that, many, that much? It's a sound tube on wheels. That's all it is. It's, it's awesome. So I love putting the music up as high as it can go, listening to it. But here's the number one reason Hannah doesn't like it is because I can't hear the GPS, which is really just her. And so I, I miss stuff. I miss turns because I can't hear her. Emotions. Our feelings, uh, our, our, the, these emotions we have inside of us, it, they're like music. Uh, they're, they're loud at times. They're, they're, they're in your life. They're in the car, if you will. Uh, they're in your life, and they move you, right? They, they get you thinking. When, when, the, when the feelings come in, you have these big existential thoughts about your purpose and life and these relationships that mean something to you. It's powerful stuff, emotions, the problem is, is when you listen to them for directions, right? Because it'd be, it'd be really, in some ways, I mean, emotions, they don't have brains, right? The emotions are feelings. Uh, they're different than your rational, logical thoughts. So it'd be like letting them drive your car, letting the music drive your car, listening to the song and going wherever it takes you, like, like I do. Uh, that you wouldn't want to navigate. You wouldn't get to where you're going to go or we need to go if you let 
the music tell you where to go. You got to listen to the voice. You got to listen to the GPS. You got to listen to where you know, who knows where the right turns are. Uh, emotions are powerful, though. They're hard. Uh, and this is the way I put it. They're in the car. You don't ignore them. They're important. You just don't let them drive. You don't let them have the steering wheel. And the book of Psalms, where we've been the last you know, a couple weeks here, we're kind of taxiing to the gate on this, on this series. But the reason we wanted to do this, the reason it's so important, the book of Psalms deals with every emotion in the human experience on the spectrum. I mean, it deals with horrible tragedy, deals with guilt, deals with the highest joys, the lowest lows. It, it, they're powerful. It, it's basically the full spectrum of human emotion processed with God. You know, I, I tell people, whether you're, whatever the emotion is, if it's intense, you ought to live in Psalms, even if it's high. Like when I'm on vacation, we're going we're gonna to be going on a trip in the next couple, day, a couple weeks here. Uh, I'm going to live in Psalms because I'm going to be emotionally, it's going to be intense, but it's going to be on the good side. Like I'm going to be having fun. I'm going to be with my family. I'm going to be able to rest, enjoy God's creation. Guess where I need to be? I need to process those good emotions with God. They're intense. I got to process them with them. No better book to death than Psalms. You know, I, but when you have negative emotion that's intense, grief, tragedy, uh, d despair, those emotions, they're real. You know, they're in the car. You ought to deal with them. You can't ignore them. You, you got to validate the fact that they're in the car, but you got to process them with God. Psalms. That's where you want to be. And today's psalm is Psalm 103. I'm going to read it in its entirety in a minute here. And it's one of the psalms that I think gets the heart of how to deal with the intensity that lives inside of us, both emotionally, affections, urges, all those things. And we're going to be there. So Psalm 103, I would encourage you, if you have your phone with you and you want to uh, go to a Bible app and read along with me, I'm going to give a little commentary on a couple verses just as I read through it. But I want to read the whole thing, and, and this may be the, it should be the most impressive part of the sermon. And this is God's word. This is, should be the most impressive part. So let's read this together and let, this, let God just do business with you. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The, Lord's work, the Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, 
The Lord's love is with those who fear him, his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, and you, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. A cursory reading of this, and if you just read it kind of fast, you might you might think that this is written from the heart of somebody who's in a really good mood, that he's happy, he's in a good spot. There are, there are some scholars that take that position when they you know, kind of really dig into this, um, but there's a number of those that would maybe argue the opposite. In fact, this is in perhaps the majority position. You don't need um, a psalm like this unless there's something a little off. How, how, where are we getting that? Who's this psalm to? It starts and ends, which is what often psalms do. They kind of have a bookend to them. They're easier to memorize. When you, when you can memorize the beginning of the psalm and you know that that's kind of like mirrored halfway through the psalm, it's mirrored on the back end, what that means is, is as a, you know, in an oral tradition where things are passed down, if you memorize the first half, you can pretty much get the second half. So that's why you often see that in the Old Testament and in Psalms where there's a bookend to things. Uh, the first verse in this Psalm tells us who the audience is, as does the last verse in the Psalm. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. What's he doing here? He, the audience is the soul. It's, him, it's his own inmost being is who he's talking to. You don't need to tell your inmost being something if it's already telling you that. Here's a, here's a question for you. Uh, have you ever gotten to a fight, a debate with your inmost being? Your, the, your soul, the core of who you are, the deepest gut instincts you have. If you haven't, that might be your problem. Scripture is pretty clear on this. Our deepest desires, urges, the solutions that our gut comes up with ought to be guilty till proven innocent. You know, if you don't ever get into a street fight with your inmost being, if you don't ever get into it with your gut instincts, that might be your problem. Your urges, your appetites, your affections, the Bible tells us they're broken. They're not necessarily all bad, but they're pointed in the wrong direction. And what, what the psalmist here is doing is he's doing this. He's preaching to, your, to his inmost being. Here's what you have to do. This may be the most important thing you need to hear today, is you got to learn to do this. You have to learn to preach, to instruct your inmost being. The most important sermons you'll ever preach are the ones you preach in here to your gut, to your inmost being. Why? Your souls have a memory problem. Your inmost being gets amnesia. You know, one of the most common uh, things you'd see in the Old Testament, common commands from God to his people, 
is to remember. You'll see that all over the Old Testament. Remember the Lord your God. Remember me. Remember I brought you out of Egypt. Remember I parted the Red Sea. I parted the Jordan so you could go into the promised land. Remember I gave you manna from heaven and fed you. I kept you, uh, I kept you clothed. I gave you water in the desert. I took care of you. I protected you. I vanquished your enemies. Remember, remember. That's his constant, I mean almost incessant command to his people. Why? It's not because it's not because they get uh, you know intellectual amnesia. They don't forget intellectually. It's not an intellectual recall problem. You know, in an oral tradition, they're always telling their kids, "Hey, this is what your history is. This is who you are." Every, they knew. There, no one was confused of like, where do we come from? Did we come from? Uh, slavery in Egypt? What, did, we, did we come into this promised land and conquer it by defeating all the enemies here? They didn't. It's not that they had a memory problem. It's not intellectual recall. It's not like this. This is maybe the. This is. Let me give you a couple quotes here. It's not like this. Uh, you know, hey Brian, did you remember to take out the trash? Okay, that's a direct quote. <laughs> Uh, that you know, I honestly, for me, it was uh, yes, I forgot. I you know, totally skipped my mind. I totally forgot about it. Uh, it was, you know, I got busy and I just, I, I forgot intellectually. It's not that. You know, the, the, it's, it's a different kind of remembering. It's putting skin on it. It's going back to that moment where it really happened, where whatever the memory is that you're trying to remember, where you, you smell the smells, you taste the taste, and you really try to let that memory drive your present, really drive the decision-making making in your present. You know, I, this is another quote, a direct quote, that might be more similar to what I'm trying to get at here. Wow, I feel awful. I will never eat that many tacos that late ever again. Never. I will remember this moment, and I'll never go back. And I did for like a day and a half. Um, but I love tacos late at night, particularly really late at night. Uh, you know, th that's a good example of I, I feel this way. I hope I never forget how I feel. I'm never going to do this again. I will always remember this. And that does last, right? You have a major experience like that or something like that, something big, something dramatic, and it drives your decision-making, doesn't it? But what happens? We, we forget. Our souls, our inmost being gets amnesia. This is the verse that, this is verse two, right? Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. This is what he's saying. He's, don't, he's trying to, in your inmost being, here's, here's a better way to understand this. This will be another story to kind of help you understand uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, driving up north to northern Wisconsin. We stopped off at a gas station, and I, uh, we got some gas, got back in the car. We started driving down the road, and my wife looks at, looks at me, and she says, oh, you have a pretty big bug on your neck. And, and I put my hand to my neck, and it all happened so fast. But, and then while we were driving, too, I'm just now realizing that we have all kinds of driving problems. A road trip would be so dangerous for our marriage. Um, where I put my hand to my neck, and uh, I'll give you the quote. I have the door quote here. I said this. I said, oh, it's a bug. 
I said it just like that. I, I said, oh, it's a bug. And uh, as I felt it, it had a huge thorax. Now, that is my favorite word in the English language. I never get to use it in context. As a words guy, we play these games. With, how many words can I use in a sermon? A thorax is the midsection of a bug. And I never have a reason to say that word, but I get to say it, thor thorax. It's just a cool word, isn't it? It feels like it should be one of the Avengers. Anyway, this thorax, this, it was hairy legs. Uh, there, it was like, it was like an alb it had albatross wings. It was huge. And, and I'm feeling this. And then I have a second quote. And this was the second quote. Oh, it's a bug. <laughs> Just like that. And I threw it onto Hannah's lap where it belonged. And then she threw it onto my lap. And then, and then you know, of course, I, it you know, started you know, burrowing into my knee. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that bad. But I pushed it off my leg. And then we veered off into the side of the road. And the kids thought it was the best, most fun roller coaster they've been on. Uh, the bug didn't survive. What happened between those two quotes? The difference is, I preached it <laughs> to my inmost being, <laughs> right? I mean, it went from here, like this a bug with a big, with a big body, to it's a bug. And it, I took it all the way downtown into my soul. Listen, this is our biggest challenge and problem as Christians. How do we get it to go from here? Jesus, God, knew my name, knew what I was going to do in my life, knew everything I was going to amount to and not amount to, and said yes to that anyway, and died for me so that I can be at peace, have nothing to worry about for all eternity in respect to my relationship with my creator, simply because I have faith and put my belief and trust in him. How do we get that? To, how do we control our consciousness in our presence to live with that here in our inmost being? How do we do that? You see, the problem, this is the, the what are we supposed to preach? What are we supposed to do with this? is not necessarily the commands. I'm not saying you ought not learn the commands of God, but the problem here that David's talking about, the problem in our soul, is we forget not just the commands, we forget the benefits. That's the sermon topic. That's the sermon topic that if you really could do this, could you imagine your life? Imagine your life. If you could really preach and live in all the benefits you have in the cross, you would confess sin easier. You have no problem telling people your mistakes. You have no problem being generous with your time, with your money. You have no problem. You, you know the benefits. It's in here. It's the benefits we got to preach. Now, there's a lot listed here, but uh, when you do a, a study on this passage, the, the, they all kind of hinge on, and there's one, the one that gets the most real estate, really, and what this is about is the forgiveness of God. That's where this passage seems to 
hinge on is it's remembering the forgiveness of God that he's his father. He's going to have compassion. You're brought in as a son now. You're brought in as a daughter. He's going to be a good father. He's never going to abandon you. He's going to be with you through thick and thin, through all your worst nightmares and fears. He's a good dad. He's a good father. But it's all based on this forgiveness, this coming home. Why is that true? Here, here's why this is true. Your inmost being, your soul, your identity, the way you mentally and inwardly process and talk to yourself, your identity often falls off of two sides of a razor, razor sharp beam. You're often falling off on two, in two sides of a ditch. The first side of the ditch is this, despair. I'm, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I just can't, I'm stuck. I always mess it up. I've, I'm just, I've never amounted to what I thought I should be. I'm not the kind of dad. I'm not the kind of husband. I'm not the kind of wife. I'm not the kind of daughter. I'm not the kind of friend. I'm not the kind of boss. I'm not the kind of employee. I'm just not there. I just don't measure up all the time. And you're just despairing in grief and even some self-loathing. You're just frustrated at yourself. You're always discouraged about yourself at your inmost being. That's one ditch. The other one, which is kind of as a result of the reality of some of that truth, is it's too painful to look at our sin. It's too hard to look honestly at who we really are, who we really are. It's too, we can't even look at it. And the idea that God has a standard, our creator has a standard, and we don't measure up, that I can't even handle. So all we have, and you see this a lot in particular secular society, where you're fine, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, everything you think, the way you want to do life, it's the way you should do life, you're the best. No one can tell you you're wrong. You're perfect. It's a, you're awesome. You're strong. You're, you're mighty. You can do whatever you want. You're, you're perfect just the way you are. Everything you do is right. Don't let anybody tell you you're wrong. Don't let me push you down. It's this pride, which is a real sensitive. Pride is like, a, a, it's like a, often the Bible has talked about like a sensitivity. Like if you just poke it, it it's so vulnerable because it's this, it's this shell of this fake pride of ignoring the reality of our own weakness and failure and imperfection. It's on this side of the ditch. But the balance beam in the middle, the, the only way to walk forward through life without slipping into either side of these is to see yourself at your inmost being, who you really are, forgiven. A forgiven person. If you can live in your inmost, I'm a forgiven person. Here's why that protects you from either side, okay? When you're forgiven, you can't live here because you're forgiven. Your debt's been paid. It's not like you're good, but that phrase, like, it's all good, like, we're covered. You're covered. It's good. You're good. It's paid. It's over. The debt has been paid. Reconciliation done. You're forgiven. You can't live in despair and self-loathing. You can't walk around bemoaning your, your failures and your weaknesses. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. It's good. We're good. You're forgiven. But you can't live over here either. You're forgiven. <laughs> You've looked honestly at what you did. You know the cost of your sin. You know how high that price is. You know how bad and how ugly it is. You know what you're capable of, if not here with your hands, with your head, what you think about. You know how bad it is. You can't walk around with pride. You can't walk around not forgiving other people, thinking you're better than them. You can't. Why? You're a forgiven person. 
forgiven. That's why this, that's why this psalm lives there. That's why the psalm pivots on this. And that's why the, psalm, the psalmist, David, tries to work so hard to get this into your mind, this forgiveness. Look at what he says in verse uh, 11. Here it is. Uh, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You ever wonder why the galaxy and why the universe is so big? You ever wonder about this? Like why? I mean, what do we need all that space for? I've driven through New Mexico, obviously not with Hannah. But have you been through, have you driven through New Mexico? There's tons of space. There's so much space for people. There's about 8,000 miles of circumference if you go around the earth, about 8,000, a little under. Uh, there's 186,000 miles that are traversed in one second of light speed. The nearest galaxy is 22 million light years away, the Andromeda galaxy. And they say there's like 165 billion galaxies and counting. The latest mathematical theory is that the universe is expanding at an ever-increasing and accelerating rate. Why? We don't need that much space between us and the next galaxy. There's plenty of elbow room. Why did God go through the trouble of making all that space? Do you ever wonder if it's not just to show his power? What if he's trying to scream at you to look up when you wonder if his love will be available to you next year? If you wonder if in the next couple of years you're going to do something that's going to be like the end of God's love, he wants you to look up. Until you can get to the edge of that galaxy, until you can get to the edge of the universe, then, then we'll talk about that. But until then, there's more. If you ever, if you ever sin and, you're, and you go to God with it and you ask for forgiveness and you wonder if he's across the table going to give you forgiveness, what I would do is turn to the east or the west, doesn't matter which one, start walking. And when you can stand on the edge of that horizon line and there's no more horizon line in front of you, then you can wonder if there's no more forgiveness. But until then, keep walking. And your next response is, well, Brian, the world is a circle, so it'll never run out. I'll never get to the edge of the horizon line on a sphere. Exactly. You'll never, there's, a, there's more forgiveness and love in the gospel than a 10,000 year lifetimes of sin. There's plenty. There's enough. There's enough forgiveness at the cross. So how do we do this? How do we actually get this into our gut? Well, let me give you a couple. Let me just give you one, one thing here. Um, and, and just in case you were wondering, by the way, in case you are wondering about that whole fear, like the fear of the Lord thing, uh, that's not a condition for his love. That's just the natural response of a person being close to God. Like I talked about in, our, in the, in the uh, communion, when you're close to God, when you get near him, guess what's gonna happen? You're, it's like being in a hurricane, being an incredible, uh, being on, in, in, in a, in, standing on the shore of the ocean and you see this huge ocean and you realize whoever made this loves me. I'm terrified of doing anything that runs up against his leadership. That's the fear of the Lord. You just naturally are gonna be afraid to push against any of his leadership. The fear of the Lord is not a command that you add to your list of commands of obedience. It's how you do the list. It's just how you're gonna naturally live your life close to the almighty God. A fear of doing anything against him. Like anything that pushes up against his wisdom and his plan for your life. That's what it's gonna be. That's the fear of the Lord.
But here's how we do this. Uh, my ment- one of my mentors, um, right before I took this job, I asked him for some advice. What's the one piece of advice you give me? And this is what he said. He said, listen, Brian, what you need to do is sit down with your wife, do this regularly, audit this regularly, but sit down and ask yourself this question. What do I need to do daily? What do I need to do weekly? What do I need to do monthly? What do I need to do seasonally? And what do I need to do annually? And then what do I need to do every couple years to protect and keep white hot my affection for Jesus Christ alone? And schedule those in, set those boulders in place first, and then build your whole year and your whole week and your whole month around it. Set that in first, build everything around it. This is what I would say. Schedule in God's word first. Schedule in the sermon that you need to preach to yourself first. Schedule that in first, build from there. Everybody should do this. Every Christian should do this. Annually, sit down with your spouse or your family or your friends and look at your year, look at your months, look at your weeks, look at your days and ask, where do I need to be? Who do I need to be with? What people do I have to gather with? What kind of music do I have to play as I drive into work? What do I have to do to get this sermon to go from here to here, to right here, to keep this inside hot? What do I have to do to do that? Meditation in the Eastern religion is is emptying your mind. It's anti-intellectual, right? When the Bible talks about meditating, it's meditate on scripture. It's fill your mind with it. It's not an emptying of your mind. It's a filling of your mind with God's word, what he says. It's furious analysis of the truth of who you are, how forgiven you are, so that you can control your consciousness and live and make decisions in the present based on remembering in here, God. I'll close with this. Um, we're gonna, the, the band's gonna come up and we're gonna do this together. We're gonna try to uh, sing ourselves peaceful into the place where we remember in here. But if you are still stuck, if everything I've said is not getting through how much God loves you, would you take David's first three words from this psalm? Would you take these first three words and think about this, meditate on this? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Did you hear that? It blesses God. When you preach to yourself and remind yourself of his benefits. Did you hear it? God loves to love you. He is blessed by you swimming in and enjoying the benefits of his life and death and resurrection on the cross. He loves it when you do that. You want to make God happy here today? You want to make him happy? Why don't you stand as you're able? If you're able, let's stand right now, all of us, and we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to bless God by just enjoying and singing of his goodness and his blessings. Let's do this together. Let me pray for us. Lord, in these last few minutes, um, we can't bring anything to you. Lord, we've already recognized our sin. We're a mess. We've repented of it. We're just so small compared to your beauty and your wonder. 
But Lord, we just want to bless you this morning by preaching to ourselves in our own gut the benefits of all that you've given us, all that's available to us through the cross. Lord, we, we dwell on it, we think on it, and then Lord, help us to feel it. Lord, help it to get in here, the benefits of you. In Jesus' name we pray.